as we gather around the written word and listen to the spoken word, may we meet with the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Those of you who have been coming along to All Saints uh, for a little while will know that close to the beginning of each year, um, uh, I like for us to remind ourselves of the vision that we believe that we've been given to energise and direct our work as God's people in this community. Uh, for those of you who have joined us more recently, uh, it not, might not be as familiar to you, but it's a good opportunity to hear what we're about at All Saints. For those of you who've been coming on for some years and didn't realise that this is what we did on the first Sunday of the year. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> this is what we're doing. And as I said a little bit earlier, at its, as it's most basic, at its fundamental, if you just wanted one sentence, we believe at All Saints that we have been called to be closer to Christ and sent to be close to others. Called to be closer to Christ sent to be close to others, this tidal rhythm, this rhythm of coming close to God and going to others with the love that we find and drawing it close to God and taking that love out. And that, if you like, is, is the sentence, that's the thing. Um, we also have some uh, visual images that help us think about exactly what this means and how we do this. And um, there are three of them, three key images that you'll see on various bits of publicity around the place. I have them as my screensaver on my laptop, and we, I bring them out every year at least once. Um, so let's have the first one, shall we, Steve? Um, so this first one, it reminds us of all the things that God has poured into our lives as individuals and as a church. It's God pouring riches in. And a church that has experienced and is experiencing the generosity of God in so many different ways cannot be hidden. It has to shine out. It has to spread out. The riches have to spill out of the windows, have to spill out of our lives. So in this, in this image, we see the generous riches of God pouring into the church, a beacon of light, a city on the hill that can't be hidden, overflowing out into the community around us. That's the first one of our vision images. Can we have the next one, Steve? The second one is quite abstract. It's a representation of a meal in the house in Bethany, and it's based on a scripture passage in John. Um, and when we see this, Jesus is seated in the middle. Mary is worshipping with abandon at Jesus' feet. She's let her hair down, she's pouring perfume, she's weeping. She has abandoned herself to Jesus. Martha is serving faithfully in the kitchen. And Lazarus, their brother, is leaning in friendship against Jesus. And all three, in different ways, are coming closer to Jesus, who is our Lord, our God, and our friend. Our Lord, the one we serve and obey. Our God, the one we worship. And our friend, who loves us and puts his arms around us. So in this second image, in this image of our vision, we see a Christ-centred church of faithful service 
intimate worship and friendship with God. That's what we want to be. And can we have the third one, Steve? So thirdly, we have this strawberry plant spreading by sending out runners. Anybody grow strawberries? Few folk. The only thing like mine, you've got more runners than you know what to do with towards the end of the summer. And on these runners are these tiny little baby strawberry plants that have the opportunity, the potential to take root and grow, to become plants themselves and to bear fruit. So in this, this image, in this vision of ourselves, we see this connected community of fruitful congregations and expressions of faith, sharing the same DNA, growing in a variety of different contexts and places. And as we work towards this vision, as we, as we kind of see it in our mind's eye and our imaginations, this is what we want to see. I know that we don't see it all yet. So as we work towards it, we do it in a way that expresses our values. We have on our banners around church, let's have the next one up, Steve, just to remind us, our values of loving God, loving each other, loving our neighbours, celebrating and exploring. Those are the things we value as a church that drive what we do, that underpin all that we are. And as we go into this year, as we go into 2023, I'd just like to encourage us to think particularly about that image of the strawberry plant. Now, Steve, I can't remember whether I put another picture of a strawberry plant up, did I? Oh, yeah, let's have the strawberry plant back, shall we? Yes, excellent. To think about this and to think about the growth of new expressions of church and of new Christians and their fruitfulness. And as we do that, let's, let's, let's go back to those scriptures that uh, Ali and Peter read for us. And we focus on the ministry of Paul and others in this city of Corinth. So in Acts chapter 3, um, we were reading from Luke's historical accounts of the history of the early church after Jesus' death and resurrection and return to heaven. What happened to his followers? What did they do? Well, it's recorded for us by Luke in Acts And one of the things he does is he records this first visit of um, Paul to Corinth, which I've lost completely. Acts 18, there it is, yes. Acts 18. And what does he do? What is the first thing he does when he gets there? The first thing he does, first thing when he arrives, is to team up with other Christians who are already there, with Priscilla and Aquila. That's the first thing he does. And then he goes to the local synagogues to share the good news of Jesus whilst continuing to work as a tent maker to support himself financially. So he was working during the week and then going to synagogue at the week on Shabbat and sharing the good news of Jesus. And then more of his team arrive. Timothy and Silas, they arrive, and that frees him up to concentrate on preaching. I don't know what he sent Timothy and Silas out to do to earn the money, but obviously something so that he could focus exclusively on preaching. And when those who rejected the message, when those he was preaching to initially, those in the synagogue started rejecting the message, he went on to share with others. Now, interestingly, I think this is amusing. He left the synagogue and went next door, and the first person that we discover coming to faith 
is Crispus, the synagogue leader. So it sounds like the synagogue leader followed him. He couldn't get through to the rest of the synagogue, but the synagogue leader followed him. Anyway, many others responded, came to know Jesus, came to believe in Jesus, and the church grew. And if we read on, we discover that Paul stayed there for at least 18 months, preaching and encouraging the new believers, and then moved on to new places. And then as you read on through chapters 18 and 19 in Acts, we meet this guy called Apollos, who was a very effective preacher. Initially, he didn't call everything quite right about um, the relationship between John and Jesus, how it all worked, but Priscilla and Aquila got him straight, and Apollos became a very effective evangelist, and he went on to Corinth to continue the ministry there after Paul had left. And that might all sound really positive. Yay, excellent. God sent Paul somewhere else, and now he sent Apollos to continue the work. Hmm. Unfortunately, things seem to have gone a bit pear-shaped. And some years later, when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, which is what Peter read for us from 1 Corinthians, it's quite apparent that the church has managed to divide itself up into little factions, little groups. Anybody follow the elections to the Speaker of the House of... What's it, in the States? Yeah. When parties become more important than anything else, the Paul party, the Apollos party, Paul is heartbroken. And so he, he says to them, he pleads with them, he says, it's not about me, it's not about Apollos, it's all about Jesus. He turns the focus away from himself and to God. God, the one who gives out the different tasks to his ministers and is the one who brings the growth. He's the one who brings the growth and the fruitfulness. And so it seems to me that running through both these accounts of the planting and growth of the church in Corinth run two clear themes. Evangelism and partnership. Sharing the good news of Jesus with others is fundamental to our call as Christians. It's something that Jesus commanded us to do. We are to be good news, share good news, tell good news. We are good news people sent to share it with others. And we do this most effectively when we do it in partnership. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, Timothy and Silas, partnership in the sharing of the good news. And in contrast, our attempts to share good news are damaged and hampered if we fall into competition or division. So it seems to me that if we read these accounts of what happened in Corinth, that, that when we plant these new strawberry plants, when we send out these runners, if they're to thrive and be fruitful, then we need to be confident in sharing the good news of Jesus and doing so in partnership. Evangelism and partnership. And let me, just, let me just describe some of the things that I've seen in the life of our church over the last year that have kind of come into my thinking as I've been reflecting on this and reflecting on what's coming in the new year. Um, some of you will remember that in the autumn last year we, we carried out a bit of a survey, we called it a discipleship survey. We wanted to see how people were doing in their faith, what was helping them get closer to Jesus, what was encouraging them in their faith, what they were finding challenging. 
Uh, and one of the things that came out of it was one of the things that, uh, as a church, we're not as strong as other things are at, is to having conversations with people outside church about our faith. It's one of the things we're not so confident about. And so as we look forward to this year, one of the questions is, how can we grow in our confidence and capacity to share the good news of Jesus? That's something for us to explore as the year goes on. And that's one of the things that's been buzzing around in my head. A few of the other things has been celebrating the partnerships that we've seen growing up over the last year. In one instance, in partnership with the churches over in Horman and Rekin, uh, Nick and others have helped start a forest church, which has started at St. Peter's Church in Bratton once a month on a Sunday afternoon. In partnership with the House of Prayer, we've been supporting our Ukrainian guests in Wellington to set up a mutual support group and uh, learn English through reading the Bible group. There have been partnerships. Caroline has led the starting up of a weekday evening Pathfinder Club, giving opportunities for our young people to get together, grow in friendship, to have conversations about faith. And that's only been possible because of the team that's come together with her to make this happen. And as I've seen these things happening and others, I've just, it's been so encouraging to see these new strawberry plants, all strong in partnership being and sharing the good news of Jesus in our community. I want to celebrate these things. Now, something else that's been going into my thinking. I've, I've been aware of this book um, since very early on in my time here in Wellington. I eventually managed to track down my own copy a couple of years ago. It's called The Second Evangelical Awakening in Britain by J. Edwin Orr, M.A. Th.D. D. Phil. And it was published, it was first published in 1947. There you go. No, 1949. Tell a lie. And there's a passage in here, oops, dropping bits everywhere, that describes the... Um, oh, I never lost it. No, I haven't. I've got a copy here. Um, it describes the Wellington Revival. Do you know there'd been a re revival in Wellington? Some of you did. It always sends shivers down my spine since I first read it. Um, a couple of times last year, I shared it with a couple of groups that I was from church that I was meeting with, and they encouraged me to share it more widely. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, this is slightly tr edited and trimmed and abridged because it's quite long. Um, but here you go. This was what was written. By far, the most unusual religious awakening in Salop took place in Wellington under the leadership of Dr. Cranage of the Old Hall. In June 1859, he visited Ulster, where he witnessed the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing people to repentance and faith, and he came back to report it in Wellington. A little group, a little group of about 30 devout Christians met to hear the account. A dozen of them agreed to commence a daily prayer meeting, so an empty shop was rented, and a prayer meeting was announced for the same night. The shop was crowded with standing people, and nightly the place was packed in anticipation of an immediate Pentecost, which did not come. They kept praying. 
through many discouragements, and in the end, a revival did come in autumn of 1861, with many people coming to faith. There was a further development in the Wellington revival of 1861, when Dr. Cranage announced plans for building an interdenominational hall seating 800. The hall was opened on the last day of August 1862 and services were carried on at times avoiding a conflict with denominational worship, the whole programme being made interdenominational. Dr Cranage was a loyal Anglican but his helpers were of every evangelical variety and the preachers who ministered were both Anglican and Free Church. Baptists and Congregationalists in Wellington in the revival period increased membership by 66%, Methodists by 75%, and Anglicans consolidated a new parish. Wellington Parish of All Saints is still ardently evangelistic and there is unusual interchurch unity in the town. Evangelism and partnership, again, hand in hand. Now, I know that in the intervening years, the relationships between the different churches in Wellington hasn't always been great, but I'm I'm so encouraged that I believe that we are in a good place now. Even even before I came to be vicar here, and I was working over in Prizley, I would often come over to the Wednesday morning prayer meeting with the Wellington church leaders. And that prayer meeting still happens every week. It's it's on Zoom now, but the churches of this area, the leaders come together and pray. Not all of us every week, but a good, some of us every week, and a good, good representation. We come together to pray for each other, to pray for our churches, and to pray for this community every week. So how do all these threads come together? What does this give us as we look forward to 2023? Well, you won't be surprised by my two watchwords, evangelism and partnership. Seems to me that the best way that we can build our confidence in sharing the good news of Jesus is to do it with others. Um, On the evangelism side, We're going to continue working on encouraging each other to share and be the good news of Jesus. Um, There's a a new initiative starting up in the wider area which will bring folks together from different churches to support each other as we lead new expressions of church. We're not the only ones sending out runners. Um, And one of the key things that's going to be part of those conversations is to provide ideas and encouragements to find appropriate ways of sharing the good news of Jesus in those different places, in those different things that are starting up, in those different places that we meet together. So that's one example of one of the things we're going to be doing on the evangelism side. On the partnership side, many of you will know that for some years we've been running Ignite, fortnightly for some of it, monthly for some of it, um, this opportunity for us to get together and worship and pray together. Um, And towards the end of last year, 
a number of different circumstances and chance conversations led us to the possibility of, of partnering with House of Prayer in doing that. And um, House of Prayer came here and joined us with, for Ignite for the last couple of Ignites of last year. Um, but those conversations have continued and actually they've come to fruition in us doing something new. So we're going to stop Ignite and we're going to start having Wellington worship evenings. And those are, they're going to be monthly. Um, and the first of those will be on Saturday the 21st of January at 7 o'clock at Belmont Hall. So we're going, to be, we're going to be doing something not in our own church building with other people. Oh. I'm really excited about this possi the possibilities of this. We're going to be inviting folk from other churches to come and worship in Wellington, worship over Wellington, pray for Wellington. I know that there are going to be challenges in the coming year. We've had two or three years of very unexpected challenges, so I'm sure there'll be challenges this year as well. Some of them we know about financial challenges, the cost of living. Uh, inflation has the same effect on, our, on what, how we fund ministry as it does on, on everybody's households. But we believe in a generous God who will provide what we need. I'm so encouraged by the heritage that we have here in Wellington of partnership and evangelism. I want to celebrate the way in which we've seen those bearing fruit in 2022. And I believe that as we build on this spiritual heritage, so we will see more fruit. And who knows, even another revival. One that future historians might look back and write once again. Wellington Parish of All Saints is still ardently evangelistic and there is unusual interchurch unity in the town. Amen. <laughs>